Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Women Emerging podcast. I'm Julia Middleton, Director of Women Emerging. Every week I speak with women around the world of different ages and in different sectors about how they lead, because we need many more women leading in the world today. We explore how women lead differently and do it their way, which is authentic, fulfilling and highly effective. Welcome to the 100th episode of the Women Emerging podcast. I'm Meenakshi. I am the production coordinator of Women Emerging, and I also take care of the podcast. Today, the tables have turned. Julia is going to be answering some of our questions. We invited four members from the first expedition to ask Julia absolutely anything they want to. Over the last few weeks, as we recorded conversations, with Katya, Fatima, Erica, and Isata. All of Julia's answers, whether they were about leading or her own experience as an individual in this world, were a lesson in leading, living, and loving. It felt almost serendipitous, all this talk about love. And so we thought, this Valentine's Day, we bring to you an episode on leading with love. Aisita began her conversation with a very simple question. Where did it all begin? Seems as if your journey is very much about women, with women, for women. And I want to know, did you choose that path or do you feel as if women's leadership chose you? There was a very big moment in my life, which happened at the beginning of the pandemic, when having struggled and fought and suffered and been really, really tricky relationship with my mother-in-law for the 40 years of my marriage, she very quietly and elegantly died over three months. And over that period of time, I thought a lot about women, to be honest. And I thought about my struggles with my mother-in-law and her struggles with me and, and probably saw her for the imperfect, powerful woman that she was. And I think I probably, you know, having had such a difficult relationship with her all through all all through those years I was holding her hand when she died and had a very profound effect upon me I mean I've always believed in women but from that moment onwards it was a sense of we cannot have more women more extraordinary women who have not suboptimal lives, because she had a huge life, but she could have achieved so much more. And, and wasting female talent, wasting it in terms of her, but also making her fight the world so much that she ended up fighting me, um, was ridiculous. And, and that had a very, very profound effect upon me 
And, um, you know, I loved her dearly and she loved me by the end. But that took us 40 years to get to that. Fatima wondered and asked Julia, why does she keep going? What is it that's driving her, keeping the energy, passion and love alive? I was wondering about your, about your why, the why of your energy, your passion. Since many years you are involved to promote leadership all around the world and with a particular attention for women in a different aspect, perspective of leadership. And I asked to myself, I was wondering, why, Julia, are you so involved in this issue um, with a lot of energy, time, love, and the connection between other women in the world? How did I know, Fatima, you would ask me such a difficult question? <laughs> um... I suppose that's a purpose question and an energy question and a women question. So as a purpose question, I think I believe in human ability to change things. And I, I want to help humans develop the ability to use, use it and to discover just what they can change, especially good humans, because I think if good humans don't wake up, but they leave what I call the sort of civic space, a square to, to bad humans, and by bad humans, I mean humans who use their position for their own purposes entirely. So I want to wake up good people and not waste their talent and and show them that they can change things and give them the tools to change things. And women are half the population of the world and in that logic, there are an awful lot of women to wake up. And my energy, I don't know where my energy comes from. I know that my father had the same sort of energy. And I know I can only go back one generation. My grandmother had the same kind of energy. And I have no idea where it comes from. Um, but I, I feel like I've inherited it. And I can see my children to a greater or lesser degree, have the same energy. So I think maybe some of it's inherited. Um, but I do get miserable about the world, and that perhaps pushes me on to have more energy to try and wake up more good people to change the direction. Of all the leadership moments you've had up to this point, what are some of the ones that stand out and are actually motivation for you to carry on this work? 
I have a possibly unpredictable answer to that one. Um, one of my favorite ones was when we were preparing for my son's wedding and it was two days away and we were not ready and we realized there were things that weren't ready and I'd been sticking out of things because I didn't want to interfere and suddenly my husband and I and all my children, we all met and we we performed a miracle over the next two days and got everything sorted because we all trusted each other. We all handed over the leadership to each other. We all knew each other's strengths and weaknesses. And because I realized that I had produced five totally amazing kids. And that was a moment of leading as a mother that was enormous for me. In terms of leading as a professional, I remember leading through the recession, a big recession that almost, well, very came close to destroying something that I'd built up over 30 years. And it, it was tough and it was horrible. It was making terrible, difficult decisions that I wouldn't suffer from, but other people would suffer from. And just keeping going and keeping your nerves and keeping your eyes on the numbers. But there was a moment where the team and I, and me heavily, said, now is the time to go because it's the recession is going to turn and now is the moment where we've got to accelerate. And we chose the right moment as a team and we came out of it stronger than we'd ever been. And for me, that was a huge moment of, again, realising it was the right team around me, but it was also realising that how much of leading is about listening so hard so that you get the timing right. We are living through a time of crisis world over, politically, financially, environmentally. Erica asks Julia, in times like this, how does one lead? You talk about leading, we all know for the good time, it's probably relatively, I mean, to my experience, very easy to lead in the good time. But right now, I think given the global, um, the world has changed so much in the last few years, um, because of the uh, pandemic or because of all this geopolitical, et cetera. So it's become very um, fragmented and also um, polarized, I would say that way. So, um, so but coming to the real world is when you're managing a team, an organization, a, 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 a business, it becomes very difficult time to really how to manage the risk, et cetera. So the people below that is all getting positive in direction. So if I call that as a, like a bad time, a challenging time, it's how to be effectively leading your team, your organization um, in, the lead, in, the, in the kind of a downtime or struggle or, or challenging time. Uh, would that be a very different approach, a way of leading compared to the good time, the glory days? The first thing that comes to my mind is when you're leading in the bad times, you discover the quality of the leading that you were doing in the good times. Yes. Because sometimes you can freewheel a bit in the good yeah. times. 
not sure. spend not spend the effort building the trust getting real clarity on the direction of travel building the relationships understanding things understanding how different members of your team respond to pressure and how you yourself respond to pressure and and counterbalancing that and adapting to it and and i think that if you if you concentrate on leading well in the good times in some ways it prepares you for what i would consider to be the inevitable tough times mm-hmm. um that's that's the first instinct the second instinct is that i think in the tough times communication becomes you know it's always big for leaders and for leading but communication becomes an ever bigger part of your life now the trouble is that you haven't got time to do everything so you have to allow an enormous amount of time for over communicating and then in my experience you know it's through the night that you have to do all the other work <laughs> so you put in long hours you really really have to learn to communicate and to explain and re-explain so that you get to the point where you can hear yourself and you're bored by yourself always repeating the same messages um but people want to hear from their leaders in tough times and and i think you have to a lot and then do you know the other thing and i i have such strong memories of some of the big downturns i think that the other thing is you somehow have to allow time for yourself for your mind to float a little and to listen to what's going on around you because when you're going through tough times you can be pretty certain that that good times will return at some stage yeah. and and as you're in the tough times you have to prepare for the moment when the good times will come or begin to come and you have to prepare yourself to be able to accelerate out of the tough times at the right moment because the person who succeeds is the person who accelerates out of them just a little bit before the curve turns yeah and and chooses which thing to build that excitement around and 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 is brave enough that if they've chosen the wrong moment then they stop they're just and they prepare again but i think a lot of tough times is about the timing of leading it's communication it's about judging the timing and you can only judge the timing as long as a lot of your communication is listening yeah. and and listening to stakeholders listening to the wind listening to the air listening to to just about everything but the decision on when to start accelerating out is a team one but it it's heavily you so you have to be pretty brave to be able to spot the moment when you start to accelerate yeah and, and then and then the other truth is and it's uh, not a truth anybody wants to hear but in tough times you have to make the cuts and they do they're cut sometimes in all kinds of spending not just in people spending but you have to cut early 
not wait till the last moment where you can't bear it. And then treat, treat people with respect, explain the logic of what's happening, and, um, and be brave. Um, if you treat your team like really adults, I mean, they getting be transparent with them about the situation, about this is we are dealing with, but we are in this together, not like the leaders taking all the burden on the shoulder. You share with them, they appreciate that. I remember someone telling me that leading is like like tea bags. And I said, mm. what, what do you mean? <laughs> and they said, what? you only know if a tea bag is any good when you put it in hot water. Oh. And I, I think that true. I think that there is some truth in that. That yeah. um, that's 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 when you figure out whether your leading has been for real in the good times, and yeah, was, whether it's yeah. going to be if if it's going to be effective in the tough times. I think the other one is you know you were using the word transparency, and yeah. and I think that's true in the communication, of course. But I think it is worth always remembering that the transparency isn't confession. Yeah. And there are times as a leader when you can't be transparent. You have to, um, you have to not express your fears and your doubts and your worries. You have to, even when things are hopeless, present hope. Because uh, if you don't present hope, then it really is hopeless. So I, I think that that holding some of that back as a lead when you're leading is terribly important. Yeah, it's actually extremely difficult because uh, you have to draw the line of being, say, transparent. You want people to recognize the situation, but meanwhile, you like exactly giving that hope, and also particularly. Um, if you're taking a team or the whole country, actually, China is a whole country going through a transition or transformation, if you call it that way, nothing's going to be the same as past, right? You don't want them to dream like going back to the old good days. I mean, you all think about the old days or miss the old good days, but you are not going back to the good old days. So it's going to be a different chapter, a different challenging, but something new, something you, you have to... Uh, also put them to really thinking and looking forward to the new new kind of a new way of uh, encouragement of excitement you mentioned divisions too and all right yeah all right yeah i think that's the other thing is that in your leading you have to resist the temptation to do things easily and sometimes the easy thing is to sort of create an enemy yeah. <laughs> and fight the enemy. You know what I mean? You know, sales are the problem and we all hate the guys in sales team or something like that. You create divisions so as to build your own team. And I think that is a really dangerous slope for leading. You, It's easy to do, but it's terribly difficult to get rid of once you've done it. Sure. I, I think it's, uh, yeah, creating that. It could be for more bonding, et cetera, is effective in the short term, but long term, I think it's not really good for the culture of the team to really um, be positive and also be, be, be really uh, winning by, by doing the right thing rather than winning by, like saying, create a fake enemy, people like that. I mean, it's, it's short term solution, not, not really long term value. I like that expression of fake enemy. <laughs> It's never easy when you're vulnerable. 
Katya asked Julia, how does one ask for help when one is leading? What are the things that you do to recharge yourself so that you can come back with all your energy and push through? So the thing that I'd really love to talk to you about today is how you as the leader ask for help and ask for support. Um, and, and whether you've learned things over the years and whether your approach has changed, because I know it can be so difficult to ask for help when you're the one that people are looking at um, for that support and for that help. What's the answer to that? I think the first thing is that you must resist the temptation to do it if you can. Because I think that when the leader is in a hole or is panicking, it can become infectious very fast. I have a very strong memory of my mother-in-law in her last few days. And I remember walking in and starting to cry and she very severely told me off. And she said, if you start crying, Julia, we'll all cry and then we'll never come back. And, and I think that that is an enormous burden. And I think that as a leader, you have to be very, very careful about asking for help because it can, it can create a hopeless atmosphere. You have to produce hope as a leader. And if you don't produce hope, things become hopeless. And that's really a problem. Having said that, you have to ask for help as a human being, possibly, not as a leader occasionally. And human being to human being. And I think that I usually do that too late because I haven't even noticed that I need help. So I think that you do it with great care. And I think you do it with the right people. So I think when you ask for help, you need to choose who you ask for help from. But the, the important thing in this is that you don't think that you're superhuman and above asking for help, but you do recognize that you are leading and that comes with a certain amount of responsibility which means that you need some other people around you that you can ask for help who aren't necessarily the people you're working with. As a person, how do you find the strength to instill hope in others? You know, are there other ways that you find that strength that you kind of fill your own cup? So we all have to find a place that calms the turmoil. Some of us, like Fatima, um, goes to Mecca and some of us like you I think goes for a run and some <laughs> of us goes and sits amongst trees and does some gardening right and and Katia as you know I found a new place that calms the turmoil with a grandchild and somehow it gives you something that's bigger than you and that you love unquestionably You, you have a beautiful career. You did a lot of things, amazing things. But now, today, 
um, when you think about the, the next step, the next month, the next year, about the future, what's your dream, Julia? Well, you know, it's interesting because I've now got to the stage in my life when I hear about somebody dying, the first thing I want to ask is, how old are they? Mm. <laughs> it's very weird. You discover new stages of life. Yeah. So I am conscious of not, you know, I may, may have less years certainly than you, but I have never had a grand plan and I don't think I ever will. But years ago, someone told me to write what I would be proud of when I lay, lay on my deathbed. Yeah? Good question. Yes. And I, I, I won't tell you. I wrote five things, and I, I have never told anybody all five. But one of them is that I'm friends with all my children and husband, you know, I don't think we're going to get a divorce, but even if we did, that we would be friends and that I translated my relationship with my children from one of being the mother to one of being a mother and a friend. I suppose that's the biggest one that drives me is, um, you know, I love a lot of people, but I especially fiercely love my children. What would you do more of? What do you want to do more of in terms of women's leadership? And what do you think you would do, do less of? I think 2023 has been full of me sort of leading from the front to make this happen. Now, I think 2024 needs to be me leading from the back and not leading at all when I'm not needed. And, and to push all the women from the first expedition and in fact all the women who do expeditions push them to lead and not not allow myself to sort of slide to the front again because it's not needed um, and the success will be other women going to do speeches other women doing launches you know it was you and four other members of the first expedition who did the launch in New York. You didn't need me there. You were totally brilliant without me. And, and I think it's, it's recognising that leading, sometimes you have to lead from the front, but success is that you don't do it for very long. And, um, you know, for me, I don't, I just want women emerging to do what it said it was going to do. We've said we're going to persuade half a million women to do expeditions and we're going to capture everything that they learn for the benefit of all of us. That's, that's what I'm going to double down on. That's what's that's written on my forehead, to do more and more and more and to reach more and more people and to reach more and more people using our AI in many, many different languages and not just to limit ourselves to the ghastly people like you and I, Isata, who speak English. <laughs> What's your life mission, Julia, in one sentence? 
to love people. No, to do what you do every single day. Yeah, Not to just love to people. Love. Every no, no, every single day to show the love, to do things that share the love. I finish all my emails and all my messages. Love Julia, whoever I'm writing to, and I finish all my podcasts. Love Julia. I, I think the power of love is enormous. It's it's beautiful. It's simple but so powerful. Just love people. You went to Mecca the other day and you sent me photographs and most of the photographs were of simple, beautiful faces. Yes. And and the photographs you took showed me that all the strangers you met in Mecca you loved. Yeah. I was so fascinated by the beauty by the beauty of the diversity of humanity. And different faces, different smile, different generation, and grandmother. Yeah. And, uh, and for me, it was very spiritual to be connected with people. But now it's about you, Julia. And yes, but I understand. But maybe your life mission is more than love people. It's also about impacts. Yes, but if you love people, they have an enormous impact. Wow. It's so true. Being loved and love given amazing power, a great energy. And when you yeah. love people, love in return, there's something very contagious. And with that, the 100th episode of the Women Emerging podcast comes to an end. For us at Women Emerging, this marks a new beginning. As we recorded these conversations over the last few weeks, I enjoyed every single moment. The vulnerability and honesty with which each question was asked and then answered made leading seem a little less intimidating. I would like to thank Aisata, Fatima, Erika and Katya for their time and the thoughtful questions. Next week, we have Uttara joining us for an episode where we talk about how to lead with wit. For all of you who like those clever stories, this is the perfect episode, and I hope you join us to listen in. Here's to leading with love, with energy, with passion. Until next time, lots of love, Meena. There's also loads more you can learn from other women if you go to our website, womenemerging.org. That's womenemerging.org. Over time, we are determined to redefine leading so that more of us can say, if that's leading, I'm in. Thank you.